0: Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. Today's program comes from the 2018 Chief Medical Officers and Biopharma Summit. The topic discussion we are featuring is a keynote fireside discussion on lessons learned from a veteran biotech and investor MD. The speakers are Dr. Jim Roach, CMO, Pullmatrix, and Dr. Elizabeth Stoner, Managing Director at NPM Capital. The next Chief Medical Officer Summit is April 4th and 5th at the Hilton Back Bay in Boston. Enjoy the podcast. So, Liz, I just was wondering, um, as an MD in industry with such diverse and varied experience to this audience, if you could just share with us a little bit from your perspective about your own career growth and evolution and how you ended up where you are.
1: Well, probably like many of you, um, I went through the standard training um, and really thought that I would devote my life to academia. Um, But life has its interesting turns, and an opportunity came to work at Merck. Um, And It was at a time when serious physicians did not join industry. Uh, But, you know, you have to take some risk sometime, prudent risk, but uh, really felt this was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. it was a very interesting experience because I think actually Merck at that time was more like a biotech than you think now. Uh, it wasn't so compartmentalized like Big Pharma. It was much smaller. So I really got to do really everything in all stages of development. And that was a very unique opportunity because it really gave me experience and insights, which I carry to this day. Um, and so, um, Merck evolved, my job evolved, um, and in 2007, um, I decided to take a different turn, uh, which is to go to venture capital, and again, I think somewhat of a risky move at that point, but turned out to be probably, I mean, I've said this a few times in my life, uh, the best job I had. I thought I had the best job at Merck, uh, in the sense that I could go back to doing Uh, the things that I like to do, which is working specifically on certain projects, being able to set the strategy and mold those projects um, as I I evolved into a very administrative role um, at Merck, which um, I thought was not really what I wanted to continue doing. I really have always loved doing clinical investigation um, from my days as a fellow. And um, that's what I like to do. So,
0: Thank you. So I remember vividly, in terms of one of my first interactions with you as I was considering joining Momenta, um, something you had said resonated with me, which was the CMO job can be a very lonely job um, in a small biotech company in particular. Uh, I understand, and this is probably tied to this, that it was your idea to convene the CMO summit six or seven years ago. And I was wondering if you could share your perspective on why you came to that position and why you thought it'd be a good idea to bring this group together?
1: Yeah, I still think it's a lonely job and particularly coming out of Big Pharma, um, when you and I first met uh, about 10 years ago, it really was obvious to me as we were trying to build rhythm. And what, what I think is missing for a CMO in a smaller company is peers. Peers that you can walk down the hall with who may not necessarily be working in your area, therapeutic area, but you could just bounce things off of. Uh, There really is no peer for a CMO in a biotech company. And so uh, Valerie and I were talking about ideas uh, of how to bring people together. One of the things that I do at MPM is I host a dinner for the CMOs in our portfolio companies once or twice uh, a year. Um, And it's been a great uh, opportunity for CMOs to get to meet, uh, to talk to each other. Sometimes we have guest speakers. Sometimes we talk about specific topics. But you really need that ability to be able to go to someone to bounce an idea off a problem. Um, And and that's what was really missing. So you can do it with your friends and former colleagues, some of whom may be in CMO jobs, but some who aren't. Mm -hmm. And there are particular pressures in the CMO job that only another CMO would really truly understand. Mm -hmm.
0: No, that's great. And certainly from my own personal experience, I couldn't agree more. And something like this group of people that's been getting together now for many years does help to provide that kind of network. And certainly in my own experience, I think some of my former colleagues in CEPA six or seven of us who all went off to be CMOs elsewhere, we still get together quarterly. That's great. And whenever we need to bounce you know things off, we can feel free to pick up the phone. Of course never divulging anything. Of course, right. right? Of course. Um, but that's great. How do you think CMOs can avoid being lonely in their companies? Knowing the circumstances and just to, again, maybe with this context, sometimes I've found in that we might be coming in with a certain development experience and perspective, maybe a commercial perspective, but oftentimes the companies we're joining um, are very early stage companies and there's nobody else in the company yet that brings that perspective. And so bringing research folks along and whatnot, just wondering your thoughts on
1: that. So, I mean, I think there's the internal right, and the external, as you point out, and and clearly um, you're never Or hopefully not lonely with your internal colleagues and really build that team together. And really, I mean, I think a very important part of the role of the CMO is to educate your peers. Uh, A lot of preclinical folks, particularly who are in biotech, don't um, have never really been at the back end. I, I'm always a big believer, like you had to go through the pro- all the way through the process to an NDA to really understand and see the end in mind. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the preclinical folks may even have been involved in products that got approved, but they never were at the table on the regulatory discussions mm-hmm. and the implications for labeling and all those things that we think about Um, very naturally. So it is a very important part of the CMO job to educate them uh, and make sure they understand the regulatory implications of what they're doing, how they're thinking. Uh, So that's one way to to, to make it less lonely. And I I think there's the the external part, which is we talked about with other CMOs. But I have found in the companies that I've worked with that it is very fruitful to also Um, have a body of experts in the outside world who may not be CMOs, but who are either experts in your field or experts in clinical trials or people that you can go to under confidentiality who, again, you can really use as part of your external team. And in the end, the, comp- the, the final decision is always yours. It's not, the decision is not made by someone on the outside world, but it is really good to get those external, orthogonal, out of the box perspectives uh, to make sure that you're making the best decisions internally.
0: Thank you. So you have the unique perspective of having built a long and successful career in large pharma, but then moving to the venture capital world, and you know, where Perhaps, you know, some things are quite different, right, in terms of uh, how you evaluate opportunities and whatnot. And in addition to evaluating these opportunities and teams, you've also assumed CMO-type roles, chief development officer-type roles, um, and now interim CEO roles. Do you feel as though you were prepared for that um, in terms of coming into VC? Is that what you expected?
1: Um, I mean, there's always surprises. But in the end, it's not actually that different. Mm -hmm. And, of course... Every big pharma, every biotech, every VC is really different. Mm -hmm. So I think one really has to look very carefully under the hood Mm -hmm. because they're not big categories. And so for me personally, ethics are number one, Mm -hmm. Um, and making sure that that's really what drives our decisions. And even though um, I no longer practice medicine, I don't forget on any specific day that I'm still a physician <laughs> and that, um, you know, that oath that we uh, all took graduating from medical school is still the oath by which I live. And it, it's easy, right, if you okay. do that. So B C is not that different. Honestly, it sounds very naive, but... Maybe I wasn't really sure. I knew what to expect when I got to BC. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the first um, couple of months, I really tested uh, mm-hmm. that. And um, you know, there were opportunities that came up for us to involve that I thought did not fit certainly my ethical standard mm-hmm. in terms of what was being proposed and what I thought was ultimately good medical care, mm-hmm. um, and really all I had to do was raise my objection, mm-hmm. and that was the end of anybody looking at that investment. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I'm in the this right works. place. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the <laughs> right good. place. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think you know, for us, um, the way we make investments, and mm-hmm. I, I can't really speak for other we We really have to fall in love with the science and the medicine and kind of see where it's going to be first mm-hmm. and so that comes first and and mm-hmm. really make sure that we're we're really meeting an unmet need and and really the science comes first, and then of course, the financial stuff has to work sure. um, and there has to be a path to making that happen and realizing and You know, we have investors. Our investors are pension funds. Um, Mm -hmm. They're they're people who really rely on us to bring back returns. So, you know, you feel that obligation. You have to have some Mm -hmm. returns, but the science has to make sense first.
0: And what do you think is most gratifying, then, in your current role? What's most interesting? What's most gratifying, perhaps relative to or in addition to the large farmer experience that you have?
1: so i i mean i guess this is for me personally um i i i i I still love to learn um and i um i really like the diversity that it that it gives me and the opportunity and i think that's where we i think can really learn uh from other people's experiences other products you know what's going on at the fda and so I really like to, to really be broadly involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I left academia because I was the world's expert on one adrenal enzyme and didn't want to spend the rest of my life being that expert on the one adrenal enzyme. Good, good. So I went the other way. <laughs>
0: good, good. So obviously, um, in your role at MPM, um, your company's at some point in their evolution, if they're successful, hire CMOs, right? And I'm sure you've hired a whole number of CMOs in the years there. So what do you personally look for um, in a CMO? What qualities stand out and what really turns you
1: off? So I think, um, you know, there's the basics, right? You have to be well-trained, you know, experienced in clinical investigation, um, uh, probably not have moved around a lot. I've always, you know, sort of a little weary of people who moved around every one or two years. Um, So those are the sort of classical things. But I think we're really looking for people who can think strategically, um, not just running the clinical trials, seeing all the way to the end. As you mentioned, these days, it's not just about getting FDA approval. It's about the payers. Um, I think sometimes in biotech we think only about the next what we call value inflection point. And, of course, you do have to think about that, and you as a CMO are part of that company. You have to contribute to that. But that's not the end, right? That's just you know one stop along um, the, the path. So thinking strategically is clearly important. Um, I think the CMO has a very important role to play in the business development activities um, and really thinking where are the opportunities that could be complementary to our company? What are the technologies that we might want to acquire? Uh, I think the CMO has a very important role to play in that. Certainly the CMO uh, needs to be a partner to the CEO. Um, that's really a, a very critical role, uh, and really to be a thought partner, to be there. CMOs um, may be needed to help with fundraising. It's part of what we have to do, right? Whether it's writing a grant or fundraising for your biotech, it's the same principles. So those are some of the characteristics that that we look for, and I, I would say you pretty much have to check all of those boxes.
0: Mm-hmm. And just, again, thinking maybe of a couple of different things, um, importance of leadership skills generally and maybe how you assess that, um, ability to build and lead teams, things like that.
1: I mean, those are really critically important skills, Mm -hmm. uh, both internally, external interactions. And, you know, those are the, 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 the skills that are always the hardest to evaluate in an interview, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, you can try, you can, uh, but it it, it doesn't, you know, we all make hiring mistakes, Mm -hmm. right? We've done that. I mean, that's where having a a group of people that you can rely on for references, talking to themselves, pressure testing that Mm -hmm. uh, becomes the hardest because, Those interpersonal interactions, as you point out, are critical, Mm -hmm. right? You can have all the other skills. If you don't have the team building skills, the leadership skills, um, the CMO role is not the appropriate role for you. Mm
0: -hmm. Thanks. And on the other side of the equation, um, you've probably had experiences where you've interviewed someone and you've come to a pretty quick conclusion, I don't think this person is right for me or for this company. Are there certain behaviors you might suggest people kind of avoid, or what kind of turns you off to say, hmm, "I don't think this is the right
1: person"? Um, I think it, it's the the leap from thinking strategically versus just tactically. I mean, I think we mm-hmm. all get into tactics very easily. Um, I can do that just as well as anybody else. Um, but really, someone who can really think strategically think to the future you know think to that end in mind and what it would take to get there mm-hmm.
0: so I mentioned when when I started that um, I had the pleasure at least from my perspective again of working with Liz uh on the board so the way we structured it at Momenta, you know many of us in our function roles also had kind of counterparts on the board that were our key contact in addition to interacting with the board generally um, and it's a very important relationship, but for those of you well, both in private and public companies who interact with your board, I'm sure you all have a lot of experiences in terms of how that relationship goes and, and also the understanding that it's a critically important relationship in terms of how you interact with the board. Um, what are your thoughts on how to make that relationship between board and CMO as constructive and positive as possible, and what do you work for there?
1: so i mean to some degree it starts at the top right you have to have a ceo who's willing to allow their cmo to interact directly with the board Mm -hmm. not every ceo um, feels comfortable with that right Mm -hmm. the ceo that we're talking about felt very comfortable with us interacting as frequently as you felt was important Mm -hmm. and then i became the advocate I would just say the advocate, but the—I was going to use the word informant, but that doesn't have the right connotation. The—the—the <laughs> the, the person who really uh, did the translation for the board of what was going on in the clinical side. Um, when there was a safety problem, Jim would call me, no matter where I was, and then I transmitted that. I mean, sometimes you would transmit it, but I would transmit it. But I, I think so. It starts that the, the CEO has to feel comfortable allowing you to have that relationship. Not every board has a medically trained person, mm-hmm. but it is important to have someone on the board who you feel really understands what the issues are in the company. If you're a clinical stage company, and who actually, as a board member, is responsible for safety on the board. I, I think you need that one person. So, if your board doesn't have a person like that, I would suggest you ask your CEO to figure out who is that person on the board that, you know, will understand that I can talk to about safety issues who can help educate the rest of the board. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the CMO's role is also very important in educating the board. Um, most board members, I would say, Um, really do want to understand the issues that are part of the clinical trial and most of that can't be done at a board meeting Mm -hmm. so i would really make the point to reach out to board members and not be shy about that of course you have to have your ceo that you know allows that kind of atmosphere but really allow that to happen, whether you know it's a new piece of literature that comes out that's relevant to your company, or a safety issue, or really great positive news, right? Mm-hmm. Or it, it, it is important for that CMO to to have that that face uh, to the board, which which I think is really productive. Now, one thing we we did at um, Momenta, which. Um, was there before I got there, and I love the idea. And I, I can't always talk every board into doing it, but we have a, we we have a science committee, um, and the science committee consisted of um, you know three or four of the board members that actually had some experience in science. They weren't necessarily PhDs or whatever, but they had led companies. They were interested. In digging in deeper to the science. And it was really okay. at those science committee meetings that we went through um, really the details of what the issues were and could report them back to the rest of the board in a way that they could really understand. Um, and, you know, there were times when the science committee maybe didn't do such a good job. Uh, reporting back to the board because there were really complex issues uh, that required uh, funding or strategic decisions and that's really hard to just do at a board meeting if you don't have a subset of the board that truly understands the critical issues so we we have the science committee at momenta I I now chair it. I didn't at the time. Uh, But I think it's a really effective way to really um, serve as an advisory board, hopefully, for management. I don't know whether you felt that way. I'm sure you didn't always like what we came up with at the science committee. But also really be a support group for the research activities on the board.
0: Yeah, and certainly from my perspective, of course, we always agree with this. No, no it, was, it was really nice to have that opportunity because some of the issues do get pretty complex and it would have been impossible to work through it at the general session of the board. And yet our, peop- our board was very involved, right, and they wanted to understand the issues. So to spend that time up front um, to have maybe a filter, if you will, to be able to filter through the science committee, and then in the meetings that management's not in, for you to have had those discussions to be able to share you know, your views and perspective within the general construct of the board, I think was very
1: helpful. I really think it makes boards, it helps boards make better decisions, Mm -hmm. informed decisions. You know, every once in a while I hear from people or companies, well, our board decided to do this. I didn't really agree, but our board. you know, you, you really don't want to be in that situation. You and and you know, there may be times when boards will decide certain things, but you really want to be at the table and make sure that they really get it. That they're if they're making the decision that they're making that you may not agree with for whatever financial, that they really had all the facts at the table and it didn't just happen at a board meeting, which which occurs quarterly.
0: Mm-hmm. And again just speaking from my own experience from the cmo perspective um it's really important that you've been prepared right you need to know your stuff you need to know your data and it's important for you to advocate for your position too you may not always get the decision that you want but uh, i'd encourage cmos to really strongly advocate for their positions as well absolutely and, you know just with fact,
1: right Just got to be exactly. data driven that's right? right
0: that's right um, just out of curiosity, how many of you currently interact with your board directly? So, quite a few. And of those that do, do you have an experienced MD on the board? Are you interacting with people? Some yes, some no. Yeah. I think it was really helpful um, to have somebody who had a medical perspective and experience um, because you, you come in with a certain understanding, and having been there, done that, and. Um, it's helpful. So I, I would also take a, another step and advocate to your CEOs. If you don't have those positions, that for an next board opportunity, if you're in the development phase, you might want to suggest and advocate for somebody to commit yeah. that perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Okay. And recommend people. <laughs> indeed,
0: indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, how have you seen the biotech industry, from your perspective, evolve over the last decade? Um, the nature of the opportunities that you see, what you're interested in funding, um, any kind of other general issues in terms of where you've seen the industry come from and where we're going? Mm -hmm.
1: Um, That's an interesting question, Jim. I I, I think actually now is a really exciting time to be Mm -hmm. in biotech. Um, I think um, there's certainly money available there for funding. I think we've moved to the opportunity from just treating disease to potentially curing diseases. It's kind of a, a new word, right, that we don't just treat disease. We do have the opportunity with some of the novel therapies to actually cure disease, which is just you know phenomenal place to be. Um, we've certainly moved away uh, mostly from just making incremental changes, um, which was very lucrative for a time. Uh, But clearly now with the payer environment, which you're all very um, aware of, that's not. So we are really, I think our biotechs are really pushing the frontiers in science and medicine now with novel novel indications, uh, novel targets, uh, novel therapeutic modalities, mm-hmm. and and I think in the other realm for us as as um, medical folks, and you alluded to this somewhat yesterday. I think thinking about how we do clinical trials is a really important part of what we do, and you know, there's a very traditional. You know, patient comes to the clinic. You know, you report the case report forms, EDCs, et cetera. Um, But I think it's it's up to us to think of creative ways to make it first of all easier for patients to participate. I think we'll get better data with real time real time uh, ways that we can capture that data. and just make our studies less complex, as you said. And, and that onus is, is on us, because uh, it's just really easy to revert back to, to the style that we, we've always been accustomed to. I think, um, in my experience, the FDA certainly is very open to this, because that's always the excuse, right? The FDA is not going to accept us doing it this way or that way. I think there's the opportunity these days to um, have those discussions with them, like you don't have to do it and take a risk. You can actually have those discussions with them. But that's really, I think, the, the opportunity for us for really to transform not just what we work on, but how we execute on our clinical trials.
0: Sure. And we, we talked about the qualities that you look for. In terms of thinking how industry has changed and evolved over the last five to 10 years. Is the relative weight of these qualities, has that changed at all in terms of skill sets of a CMO that you might look for more a little bit now than you used to? Or is it all pretty much still, still the same?
1: Uh, I, I think that's a good question, because I think that actually the expectations have gone up
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, for the CMO. Mm-hmm. I think more traditionally, a CMO you know, worked on the clinical trials and was responsible for the clinical program and, Mm -hmm. you know, regulatory potentially or not, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. regulatory was separate. I think now uh, it is a C-suite role, right? So, you know, it is a management role that has um, much broader connotations than um, maybe was previously Mm -hmm. considered in my role. And, And A really key important role and and I can tell you that as an investor whether you know it's private funding or external funding people look at who is the CMO in this company Uh, that's that's a really critical uh, key player in the company
0: Mm -hmm. we're coming to the end of our time and I was wondering if there's any advice you'd like to share with us that I haven't asked about or anything in particular uh, you know from your perspective
1: I guess the, I mean, only advice is, you know, just keep an open mind, um, uh, whether it's about your clinical trials or your own future and your path. Um, You know, if you'd asked me 12 years ago, would I ever work for a VC, I would say, you must be kidding. I would never (laughs) do anything like that. Um, So I think we just have to be open-minded. Uh, whether it's about the work that we're actually doing or the work that we want to be doing ourselves.
0: Great. Well, thanks so much. Thank, Thank you. you.
1: The next Chief Medical Officer
0: Summit is April 4th and 5th at the Hilton Back Bay in Boston. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Again, theconferenceforum.org. Thanks for listening.